Sabbath, everyone. Sabbath. Come on now. Happy Sabbath, everybody. Happy Sabbath. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord. The Bible says that everything that hath breath, praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Amen. Amen. Oh, God, we've come into this place to just give you honor and to give you praise. It is not because of anything that we've done, but except for the goodness and your mercy that you poured upon us. Now, Lord, we're not asking for much today. Lord, we pray that you would just let some drop now fall into this place. Lord, we pray that you would send your anointing into this place, God. Oh, God, we love you so much, and we just want to give you praise today. Lord, we don't want to come complaining. We're going to come thanking you because you've allowed us to be in the land of the living on this, your holy Sabbath day. So, God, here we are and here we come. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now we have our mission and our vision at this time. Our mission is to empower and disciple our members to be loving servants of Jesus Christ, sharing the good news of salvation through prayer, outreach, and worship. Our vision. Our vision is to be a healthy, united body of believers, actively engaged in the community, providing emotional, physical, and spiritual support. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.
know about you, but I was glad when they said unto me, the tabernacle isn't closed. I was glad when we could come into the house of the Lord, when they're closing churches all over the conference. But we know we serve a mighty God. Amen. They're closing all the sports, NBA, hockey, baseball. They're canceling the NCAA because all that is what you call non-essential. All God is not in the entertainment business, but he's in the soul-changing business. Nothing more essential than being in the house of the Lord. What do you say today? We're just so happy to see each and every one of you here. Amen. Amen. We don't take it for granted that you come every Sabbath. It's by the grace of God that we've made it. And I see some of my brother, brother, man, and different ones from uh, out of town, and we just want to just thank you for coming. We want to acknowledge all of our visitors. Good to see Eva in the house. Amen. Praise the Lord. Glad to see Percy in the house who was in a bad accident. God save him. Praise the Lord. If you're here for the very first time, we just want to acknowledge you. Just raise your hand. We just want to acknowledge you today. Amen. We're all family. Praise the Lord. Now, we're going to have a little paradigm shift this morning. In light of the coronavirus, we're not going to go around and give our holy hugs and kisses today. Amen, saints. It's not that we don't love each other, amen. But we just want to give everybody, just look around, just give everybody a nod, a wave, and say, good to see you today. Amen, amen. We're so glad that you are part of our fellowship. You are not a visitor. You are part of this family, the house of God. And we need family in these days. Amen. They say as we get close to the end of time, we don't need to stop coming to church, but we need to draw closer. Amen. And so today we just want to pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit today. Those that made a special effort today. We just know that God has a rich blessing in store for you today. Amen. So right now we just want you to be seated. We're going to go through a few announcements today. Were we able to get the video ready? Wasn't able? Okay. The president had a video, but we're going to summarize it today. And then we can find that handheld mic, uh, our media team. Uh, we have, how many of you re received the flyers, the protocol from the conference? If you don't have one, raise your hand. Ushers, make sure everyone has one of these. And we're going to just summarize it quickly. This is by the North American Division. These are the protocols to assist us in our safety and well-being. Amen? And so some of these things seem like common sense. But if it was so common, why do we have to say it? Amen? So we're talking about adequate hand washing. As the Germans say, my dad say, hand washing. And you should wash your hands for 20 seconds. You know, put the soap on it, put a little water to activate that soap, and sing Row, Row, Row Your Boat twice. Rubbing them real hard and then washing them thoroughly, then drying them off. When you go into the restrooms, make sure after you've done that, you take a paper towel and grab the handle of the door and then throw that in, in the garbage can. Amen? Watch our cell phones. Cell phones and Remote controls, those are the nastiest things. You need to sanitize those things. When you're in church, just be watchful. When you're grabbing things, because that the viruses can stay on hard surfaces for several days. Amen? 
Many of us in here say, well, I don't have any symptoms. I'm not, I'm not a carrier, but you could be. You cannot show any symptoms and still be carrying the coronavirus. So we want to we make sure that if you are, if you're coughing or anything, make sure you cough, have a, a, a tissue, something that you, that's disposable. But if you have to, if the last resort, you know, cough into your arm, but try not to cough into your hand. But if you can avoid coughing in someone's face, they say stay at least three to six feet away. When you sneeze, you know, that could go out several feet. And those little droplets and you breathe in that. So we want to avoid that. Um, so we want to make sure that we have, we have plenty of hand sanitizers all over the church. If you saw it, I hope you utilized it when you came in this morning. And as I said earlier, we're not going to be embracing and, and shaking Happy Sabbath anymore for a while. Amen. You can still say Happy Sabbath, but you don't have to do it in a physical way. So we want to keep that, that social distancing. Okay. And our um, avoid touching your face. You know, statistics say we touch our faces several times during the day. And so you want to avoid touching your face. Because you can easily transfer those viruses into your eyes and your mouth. And so you want to try to avoid all of these things. Uh, we're going to have uh, extra protocols when it comes to our um, fellowship dinners. Now, I don't know how much longer we're going to be able to have those, but we're going to try and keep hope alive. Amen. Because I know a lot of people depend on those fellowship dinners. But we're going to serve you instead of you coming up and getting your food. We're going to serve you. Amen. Amen. But we need, in order for this to work, we need everybody to do their part. Don't say, well, I'm, I'm not symptomatic, so I'm not going to worry about it. But no, one person can affect this whole church. And we want to keep our doors open as much as possible. And many of you are reading, uh, hearing, uh, news and you saw how a president came in contact with somebody that was infected and did not get tested himself. So if you know that you have been around somebody on your job or anything, you have to do a self-quarantine and, and call your doctor if you have any kind of uh, 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 symptoms, if you're coughing, sneezing, have a temperature of 100.4 call your primary care physician and they will instruct you as to what to do from there. Amen? But make sure that you're not being selfish, but look out for the health and welfare of others, even in your own household. Um, the church cleaning, I want to thank Beverly. She spent several hours sanitizing the church. Amen? But now that you're here, we have to do it all over again. And so, and we have to watch out for our seniors. Those are the ones that are most vulnerable, our seniors and the people who have compromised immune systems. That's why my dad's not here today. He's 95. He, can't, he cannot take any chances. Amen. But we have to, God has given us through the, through the servant of the Lord uh, the health message. Seventy Adventists should be the healthiest people in the world. Amen. How many of you heard a new start? How many of you need a new start? That's an acronym for nutrition. N for nutrition. Now, folks, I just have to say this. Now, we know fruit, nuts, and grains 
It's the original diet. Amen. Now, I just want to tell you to avoid sugar, any kind of products, sodas, pastries, which I love. We need to avoid those things because sugar will compromise your immune system. And this is the best guard against any type of virus because there are viruses float around all the time, but our immune system is strong enough to fight it off. So that's the best thing. The first line of def defense is nutrition. Watch what you're eating. And then E for exercise. Amen? Come on off of that couch and go ahead and do some exercise. And then new W for water. Now, we really need some work in this area. We should drink half of our body weight in ounces in, with water. Okay, so basically eight ounces of water, eight glasses of water a day. Eight, eight ounce glasses of water every day. And then you use water inside as well as outside. Hydrotherapy is good. Taking hot and cold showers. I did that this morning. I had a hot shower and turned it on cold for 30 seconds. Woo, that was cold. It was invigorating, but it gets that blood circulating, and it affects, attacks all the things that's going on in your body. S for sunshine. We need good sunshine. T for temperance. Be moderate in what, you, what you're doing. A for air. Get some fresh air. And R for rest. That's my problem, rest. Get enough rest. Isn't that right, Brother Ford? Get enough rest. Try to get at least eight hours, six to eight hours of sleep every night. And then T, trust in God. Amen? So let's follow those laws. And we also want to just say we know that prayer changes things. If any time we need prayer, we need prayer right now. Amen? We know that the Psalms 91 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, if you're abiding under the shadow of something, you have to be close. Amen? The Bible says, No evil shall befall thee, nor any plague come nigh thy dwelling, because he shall send his angels to give charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. Amen? So we're going to trust in the Lord. Amen? We're going to do our part in God's going to do his part. Amen? Amen. Amen. And we will have fellowship dinner afterward, after church, and we're going to have our evening service at 4 o'clock. All the churches will be coming here to Tabernacle. Amen? And there will be no Bible study this, uh, this Wednesday. No Bible study or prayer meeting at top because we're going to have slam service at Northside at 7 o'clock this Wednesday. Amen? Amen? So please don't call me and say, why isn't the church unlocked? Okay. No prayer or Bible study this Sabbath. Next Sabbath is going to be the pastor's last Sabbath. That's the official pastor, Tabernacle of Praise. I know, I know. He's been kind of letting us down, letting us down easy like a parachute. It doesn't keep you from falling, but it kind of softens the landing. And so next Sabbath, we want to use that opportunity to invite missing members, those that haven't been coming, those that uh, haven't been here for a while. We want to invite them next Sabbath, and we want to send the pastor out with a bang, amen? amen? And just start getting your money together right now just to give him a nice love gift, amen? Because many of you don't realize he's been sacrificing for the last six months, commuting back and forth, and he has not missed a step. Amen. The pastor has been very diligent, and he loves each and every one of you. 
So we want to make sure that we send him off with a bang next week, and then Sabbath afternoon all the churches are going to convene here for our uh, uh, big farewell concert for the pastor and his family. Amen? And then the following Sabbath, the 26th, the last Sabbath of this month, the president of the conference will be here, Pastor Roger Bernard. Amen? You don't want to miss that because after church, we're going to have a little town hall and we're going to sit down. He's going to tell us the road map on what's going to happen about our new pastor and this, that, and the other. Okay? So we want you to abide in the ship. Amen? Because the ship is going to keep moving. Amen? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So let us continue in our worship service. This time we're going to have uh, I thank offering. Good morning, church. It is time for our thank offering. So can I have the children come forward, please? Anybody have any testimonies that they would like to give? God is truly good, and as you know, the devil's like a roaring lion seeking to do what? But I tell you what, there's more strength and power in our Lord, our Savior, our God. You know, I didn't have time to say, oh, Lord. I didn't have time to look out and say, save me. It was when I woke up that I knew he had saved me and preserved me. I am so thankful for what God has done, and if my niece can get that picture up, those pictures up, you will see just how God blessed and protected me. I should not have walked away. But God was so good that in the midst of that, not only was I able to get out the car, but I was able to walk away from the car. I had no idea the extent of damage that was done to me, yet alone the car, because I didn't have a time to look at the car. I was hurting. It was so painful that I couldn't breathe. But I called and said, Lord, just let me get to a place where I can breathe. And I was able to get to the medium. And as I sat down, I realized, I realized how much God loved me. I remembered in the text that it said that if you can laugh, that God would bring healing. And so as they picked me up and put me in the ambulance, all I could think about was I'm not going to dwell on this pain, but I'm going to dwell on the love of God. And so I was excited to know that I was alive, so I joked with the attendees. And as they took me in, in all the pain, all I could think of is, my God, in my favorite text, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High, he protected me. But not only did he protect me, Paul, when I found out that I had a T12 compression fracture, I said, oh, Lord, that means I'm not going to be able to walk. And I said, no. Nah. I said, Lord, you're in control. And I know what they're telling me right now, but you can make that fracture 
not a fracture. He had to make it where I can at least walk. And they were talking about putting the brace on me and all this crazy stuff. And I said, no, I don't want to wear that thing. They had this thing on my neck. I said, I want that off too. And it's amazing how quickly God works. Because by 11 o'clock that night, I never made it home, by the way. I was coming home. I actually was coming to pick up Kennedy from work. And interesting enough, I had just got off the phone talking to my mom. And I had just passed some apartments on How to Shell Road. And there's a quick trip to the left. It didn't even take five seconds, Paul. I, lo I was gone. But God, at 11 o'clock that night, he took that thing off my neck, and I began to feel a little bit better. And I woke up Sabbath morning, and I felt really good. Because I told the nurse, I said, look here, you don't need to transport me to this bathroom. I can walk. And, and, and she said, you sure? I said, I can walk. And she said, well, I'm still carrying you with you. I said, praise the Lord. But I walked to that bathroom, and after two more times, they said, look here, we're going to leave you alone. You know how to unplug these things. I said, I sure do. But the awesome thing about it is, is that every test they took came back negative. Now, certainly we want to know what caused it. But I'm more concerned about that God is still protecting me. And so whatever caused it, I know it was nothing but the enemy trying to take me out. But there is a greater power. And his name is Jesus. And, and, and so I, I'm here to let you know as a testimony. It speaks for itself. They got me on a heart monitor. But I'm here to let you know that God's still in control. I don't know what caused it. But I'm here to let you know that he will. As the Sabbath school lesson said, as long as you're in prayer with God, he will cover you. And so I'm grateful. I'm so grateful. Thank you, God, for this day. Um, thank you for healing people that are sick and help people that are not doing the right thing. In Jesus' name, amen. says come on and praise the Lord with me come on everybody stand to your feet and praise the Lord with us today we're gonna ask you to clap your hands do your little dance and praise the Lord with us today come on everybody stand to your feet let's go through yeah come on put your hands together for Jesus
Sabbath, church. Sabbath. No, you're probably wondering why I have some hand sanitizer and have gloves on. Because most of the time we focus too much on what a man says. Because a man said you should wear gloves. A man said you should wear hand sanitizer. But the thing of it is, is that even with the gloves on, even with the hand sanitizer, you can still be affected by the virus. You can still die. But we know these are all things of the enemy. So if you're with Christ, if you're with God, it says that if you do die, you die with him. You are saved. You have eternal life. So would you rather die following man or die following Christ? So today we've been ancestral prayer a little bit different, so we're going to be coming up. Like you just stay where you are, stay in your seats. And we're going to want to do a time of ancestry. God told, asked me to remind you that sometimes you have to think about remembrance and we have to think about our nonchalant attitudes we have to think about communication and remembrance you know sometimes we have things personal things we have pictures maybe places we've been that are dear to us that we don't want to let go of that we can focus on things that we may think are dear to our lives are only temporary. He also says about having a nonchalant attitude. Having a nonchalant attitude is being too relaxed and being too uncertain that like the relationship you have with God, if you have one, sometimes serious matters we are too nonchalant and we know that prayer is a serious matter so today please don't be nonchalant in your prayers to Jesus so if you will just go with me to Luke chapter 11 and I'll be reading verse 1 get down to 9 and 10. When you have it, please say amen. I'll be reading in your hearing. It says, and it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, us to pray. Then he also called his disciples. Go down to verse 9. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For 
say, Our Father, which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. Give us today by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father God, we just thank you today for all the things you did, done, and going to do for us on this trip. We ask that you would grow us in your wisdom and your understanding because you said even before we can ask, you have already answered. So I just ask that you would, your people's eyes will be open and that they will understand no matter what man says, man has no power. We have to realize that we have to be connected to the source. our lives and we will renew because of the blood we, we can be saved that lives can be changed that marriages can be healed that people can even be resurrected because of the blood and we just thank you that you sacrificed your life for us showed us how much you loved us and you showed him how much you respect us Just like the world is entering a new situation that we haven't seen before. The whole country is shut down. Totally shut down. And even over here, businesses are shutting down. Services are shutting down. Yesterday, talking to somebody, he said, soon even truck drivers shall not be able to bring food to the store for us to buy. And I went to Sam's yesterday. Sam's in St. Peter, and I couldn't see a single loaf of bread, not one. It's so sad. Being empty, cannot buy, nobody's employed. Right? That is the, the situation 
says, hey, and think about it. If business is a certain time, think about the lost wages. Think about how you're going to pay your bills. You're going to put food on the table. It's, it's getting scary. Are those the time when you claim God's promises? Right? He said, he make sure that you don't beg for food. No son of his, no daughter of his will beg for food. And such promises in the Bible for, for us, all we need is to claim it. He says, his mercies, his, his blessings are fresh every morning. Right? And he's blessing you so that you will be a blessing to somebody else. Right? He's blessing you spiritually. Right? So bless somebody spiritually. Bless them with, with, with his word. And not every one of us can go out and preach. But at least we have, we have some pocket change that, that can help. Right? So he says that bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be food. There will be spiritual food in this house. Right? So that pastors and, and other people can go out and then share with, with, with the, the rest of, of the world. So that's what he's asking you to do this morning. And he's blessed you. He's going to continue to bless you. He's going to make sure that his promises come true for you. He's a faithful God, and he wants you to be faithful too. So as the deacons come around, think about that. Think about how God has blessed you and, 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 and the promises he's given and the promise he's going to keep. And you've got to keep your end of, of, of the bargain. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a faithful God. Lord, we thank you for the promise that whatever happens, you keep and sustain us. You have our back. Whatever happens, you make sure that we don't, we don't beg for food because it will always be supplied. Just as you feed the ravens, just as you feed the ants, you feed the, the elephants too. And we are more than any of those. So Lord, continue to keep us and sustain us. Help us to be faithful. Give us the spirit of generosity to one another. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Pastor Roger R. Wade in 1998 received a call to the organized church work and serves in the form in, in the Northeastern Conference, has served in Northeastern Conference, the Southern California Conference, the Southwest Region Conference, the South Central Conference, and as of April the 1st, 2019, Pastor Wade began serving as church ministries director of the Mid-America Union Conference. In July of 2000, uh, 2003, Pastor Roger R. Wade was ordained to work in the gospel ministry. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he has used him to baptize over 850 souls. Amen. Pastor Wade has written many articles, travels, preaching, and conducting seminars and workshops, and serves as a consultant to the North American Division of Seventh-day Adventist Youth Ministries Department and the Black Adventist Youth Directors Association, known as BETA, produced 
and the coordinator for the first ever young adult uh, initiative, Genesis 2000 Satellite New Year's Eve broadcast. He volunteered at the National Pathfinder Campery held in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, served as the camp Campery director for Betas, known, knowing him Pathfinder Campery. Served as producer for many large youth events and volunteered on numerous community board of directors. Pastor Roger A. Wade is married to the former Lorraine Lawrence of Neptune, New York, New Jersey. I'm sorry. Is she here? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. And his only son, his only begotten son, college-age son, Anthony Roger Richard Wade. Amen. Praise the Lord. So after the choir would have sung, the next voice we'll hear will be that of Pastor Roger A. Wade. Hear ye hear.
loving Lord. What a word. Because you sent your angels to encamp around us. I'm not afraid. I hold on to that promise. We claim it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Last Wednesday, I called your pastor and I said, Elder... Are we still on? And he said, sure we are. And as I sat there and you sang, I'm so glad that we serve a God that in spite when the world is unsure, we are sure. All is well. I don't think I need to preach. I think the Lord has spoken today, all is well. If the rest of the world can just hold on to that. I was sharing with your elder earlier that if this is as bad as it's going to get, we're going to be all right. If it's going to get worse, we in trouble. My Lord, my Lord. Praise the Lord, everybody. I bring you greetings from the Mid-America Union. I am so excited. I'm still a babe in my role there at the Union, but I am excited to be with you today. I've shared with your pastor uh, the opportunities of, uh, of ministering. He and I serve um, as community service leaders here in this region, um, and I am just so happy to have met him as my uh, colleague and friend, and I am sad that he is leaving. And uh, I, I watch a little bit of what's happening in this, uh, in this city, in this part of the world, through your, scre your, your um, streaming. And um, I am excited for what, is God, what God is doing right here in this part of his vineyard. Upon my arrival this morning, I heard not only are some members worried, but we'll share with them that all is taken care of, all is well. But that the enemy is busy trying his best to do something to scare them away. One person shared on Facebook that in 9-11, um, everyone ran to church. So the devil rethought his plan, and now he's scaring you out of church. But that's all right. That's all right. That's all right. We will still let the word of God go forth. I just want to just share a quick brief. Uh, this afternoon, I am going to be sharing with, uh, with anyone who wants to come to see and learn about how their church can become a better church. Um, also, particularly to youth, uh, youth leaders and those who are lovers of youth. 
uh, this afternoon at 4 o'clock I'll be sharing. So you want to make sure you either you stay for potluck or you come back in time so that we can have a good time this afternoon. But I'm not going to be any much longer um, here. I am going to get started and uh, because we came to hear a word from the Lord. As I was thinking, what can be said in light of everything that we're dealing with? You know, sometimes uh, the word of God is to, is, I've heard it said this way. When the preacher stands up, he is to help comfort the comfortable. No, comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. So I don't know about where you sit whether you are on the comfortable side or the disturbed side, but I hope this word is for you. The book is Exodus, chapter 1. I'm going to look at the first five verses. Chapter 1, Exodus. My Bible reads, and I'm going to read from the King James Version. I know that's foreign to some of us. And if you will please stand as we give homage to the word of God this morning. King James Version, Exodus 1, verses 1 to 5. I'll read in your hearing. My Bible reads, Now these are the names of the children of Israel, which came into Egypt. Every man and his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Ishkar. Zebulon, and Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, and all the sons that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls. For Joseph was in Egypt already. For the next few moments, I'd like to share with you under the title, Already Done. Already Done. You may be seated in his presence. Serious readers know the importance of reading the preface of any writing. Now, some of you who don't get into books may not know what a preface is. The preface is always that, that, that piece of, that page that's before chapter one. Sometimes before the, the table of contents or right after the table of contents. Serious readers know the importance of reading the preface of any writing. The opening words of any treatise are far more than meaningless introductory chatter. The opening words are quite literally a preface or a way of looking at the face of what has been written before actually encountering the substance of the text. The opening words are intended to introduce the reader to the broad concepts that form the intellectual foundation of the writing. They are designed to set the mental course for the reading and establish the historical or the personal point of view from which the writer has begun. Thus, like the preface in any writing, Prefaces in the Bible are important. Any serious study of Moses' second book, Exodus, requires that the reader pays attention to the opening words. 
at first glance, the words, words seem to be over-involved in genealogical gibberish, containing unknown names with difficult uh, pronunciations. However, greater meaning lies behind the surface. In particular, it must be noted that the preference to the book of Exodus begins with the word now, indicating that the book is not intended to stand alone, but unquestionably the author's, author's way of connecting something that has been written before. Now, the Bible says, can imply any number of things. After something has happened in the past, now is used to refer to the present. Now can indicate the interrelatedness of concepts and ideas or, or, or illustrate how one thing follows another. How is the word now used at the beginning of Exodus? Even someone with limited biblical knowledge knows that Exodus follows Genesis. The book of Genesis records the creative activity of God through a series of what I like to call God events. For instance, for instance, Genesis reveals the God event of creation of humankind through the lives of Adam and Eve. We learn of their assigned occupancy and subsequent eviction, come on now, from the Garden of Eden and what it would take for them to be able to make their way back to the Garden. Genesis also reveals the God event in the life of Noah, who was instructed to build a boat while living in the middle of a dry, barren desert. Come on. It further records the God event in the life of Lot, who was saved from the destruction of Sodom, but whose wife was turned to a pillar of salt because she dared to look back. Come on. And Genesis also reveals the God event in the life of Abraham and his wife Sarah, whose, though bent and withered and contoured by age, received a promise that God will bless their seed and give them a son, Isaac, who would cause their name to be blessed among the nation. Isaac fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered 12 sons among them. His favorite was Joseph. Abraham's genealogy is important to understand the preface of the book of Exodus. Genesis 43 notes that the famine was sore in the land of Israel. Consequently, Jacob sent all his sons, with the exception of Benjamin, to Egypt to buy grain in an effort to avoid certain starvation and its capable death. From the closing lines of Genesis to the preface of the book of Exodus, all the sons of Jacob had died and 350 years had passed. Thus, the writer of Exodus penned a preface that reads, Now these are the names of the children of Israel, which came into Egypt. Every man and his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Ishkar, Zebulon, and Benjamin, 
Dan and Nephtali, Gad and Asher, and all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already. You see, this genealogy of Israel serves to remind us that whenever we are exploring what God is doing or straining to see what God will do, we must remember what God has already done. The word, the use of the word now in the preface of Exodus implies that a history has gone on before that must not be ignored. This is a history we cannot escape. Now is the word that connects Now is the word that reminds us that we are where we are because of what God has done for us in the past. Come on now. Now is the word that reminds us that we cannot appreciate where we are until we first remember where we used to be and who helped us get where we are. In the book of Exodus, the writer is set to reveal God's act on behalf of the people of Israel while they were in Egyptian bondage. However, he cannot begin telling the story until he prefaces it by acknowledging the contributions of those who have gone on before. The listing of important names shows us a full appreciation of history. One of the tragedies of this generation is that our children and a whole lot of us adults do not know the names of persons who have made significant contributions. They do not remember that such contributions to their lives were even made. They don't remember the names because they don't know the names. Whenever people, black people, gather together, somebody ought to remember the names. Phyllis Wheatley, Benjamin Banneker, Richard Allen, Nat Turner, Henry Highland Garnett, and Frederick Douglass. Remember the names. Harriet Tugman, Sojourner Truth. Booker T. Washington, Henry McNeil Turner, Mary Church Terrell, Paul Lawrence Dunbar, James Weldon Johnson, Ethel Waters, and W.E.B. Du Bois. You cannot tell the story of our history until you remember the names. Marcus Gasby, Garfi, uh, Langston Hughes, Zora Neale Hurston, Adam Clayton Powell Jr., Marion Anderson, A. Philip Randolph, Paul Robeson, Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King Jr., and Malcolm X. We must remember the names. 
even as Adventists, there are names we must remember. Frank L. Peterson, James K. Humphreys, Charles M. Kinney, James L. Monroe, R. Hope Robertson, Eric C. Ward, I.O. Irons, Jonathan E. Roach, Leon Davis, Willie S. Lee, V.L. Roberts, H. D. Singleton, R. T. Hudson, G. E. Peterson, uh, F. L. Bland, T. M. Rowe, Louis H. Bland, Walter W. Fordham, Charles E. Bradford, C. D. Brooks, E. E. Cleveland, Owen A. Troy, U. S. Willis, J. L. Cox, Sherman H. Cox. J. Wellington Clark, George R. Earl, Paul Monk, and G. Alexander Bryant. Let's tell our young people that it's all right to talk about LeBron James and Zion Williamson, but do not forget Goose Tatum and Meadowlock Lemon and the other Harlem Globe Trotters who could not play professional basketball because they were African-American. While we are listening to Drake and Chance the Rapper, we must not also we must also read Langston Hughes and Toni Morrison and Alice Walker. While we celebrate Serena Williams and Coco Goff, we cannot forget Aura Washington and Althea Gibson and Arthur Ashe. Celebrate Aaron Judge and Dexter Fowler. Don't forget Satchel Paige and Willie Mays and Larry Doby and Roy Campanella and Jackie Robinson. It's all right to talk about T.D. Jakes and Paul Morton and Marcus D. Cosby, but don't forget Paul Turner, Dwayne Thomas, James White, Kelby McCotry, Donald Rowe, Caval Hunter, and Roger Arway. While sitting in your corporate office with your name on the door making six-figure salaries, don't forget those who made bridges out of their bodies so that you could be where you are. We can neither escape nor forget our connection with history. That's why we must remember the names. The first five short verses of this preface not only reveals a history we cannot escape, they also reveal a forgiveness we cannot live without. All of the names in the verses represents Jacob's sons. The names also represents Joseph's brothers who hated Joseph because he was loved most by his father who had given him a coat of many colors. These were the same brothers who stripped Joseph of his coat threw him into a pit, and left him there to die. These were the same brothers who sold Joseph to some passing Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, which is how Joseph arrived in Egypt in the first place. These were the same brothers 
who, because of their treachery, placed Joseph in such a vulnerable position that he wound up in prison on trumped-up charges of sexually abusing Potiphar's wife. Joseph's life had been in shambles because of his brothers. Through his experiences, Joseph knew that sometimes the people who will mess you up most in this life are the ones who are closest to you, my Lord. The ones who will take advantage of you, destroy your life, ruin your credit, eat up your food, wear your clothes, run through your money and your reputation are not your enemies. They are your brothers and sisters, my Lord. If you can't say amen, say ouch. Despite all of that, all of that had happened in the past between Joseph and his brothers. They are still included in the preface. Reuben, Levi, Judah, Simon, Simeon, Ishmael, Ishmael, Ishkar, Zebulon, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad. All the brothers are there. They are included because although they sold Joseph into slavery, Genesis 37, Joseph forgave them, Genesis 45, for their past sinful deeds. These verses remind us that everybody needs to be forgiven. There are relationships that cannot continue until somebody says, I forgive you. There are marriages that are headed for divorce court unless somebody says, I forgive you. When you read the preface to the book of Exodus, don't forget that Joseph's brothers are listed because Joseph forgave them of their past deeds. This is a forgiveness neither you nor I can live without. The introductory verses also show us that we need to know that God is working whether we see it or not. And today we need to know that word. It is worth noting that in this particular passage, God's name is not mentioned. In the opening verses, we find history. We find genealogy. We find Jacob and we find Joseph. But there's no mention of God. It, it seems as though God is not involved. Yet, in Genesis 45 and in Genesis 50, Joseph provides the basis for his ability to forgive. It says in 45, now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years had the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in which there shall neither be plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a prosperity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Genesis 50 and verse 20 goes on to say, but as for you, he thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Through his experiences, Joseph discovered that even during life's bleakest moments, when God appears to be absent, God appears to be absent. God appears to be absent. Did I say it again? God appears to be absent. God is there. 
just at the moment when Joseph thought he had been abandoned, God was preparing a positive outcome from what appeared to be a negative circumstance. All of us have had experiences that have caused us to feel that God is not present. In your life and mine, there appear to be incidents or accidents in which we don't feel God's present at all. But I have come to understand that what we think an accident is really a Godsident. Come on now. An opportunity for God to be glorified through our circumstance. When it appears that your life has turned upside down, look for God in it. When it appears that you are so far down that there is no way up and no way out, look for God in it. When it appears that everything you saved is lost, everything you are holding has slipped away, everything you thought was positive has turned out negative, every time you have gotten up, somebody has knocked you back, every time you are depending on, everything that you're depending on has let you down. When your world has turned upside down, I'm here to tell you, top, look for God in it because he is there. When you can't see him, he's there. When you can't find him, he's there. When you don't know where he is, <laughs> he's there. When you feel all alone, he's there. When you stand alone in the dark, he's there. When there is no one to help, <laughs> he is there. When there is no hope, he is there. I came today to share with you that in spite of the stuff that's going on around us, the devil is a liar, God is in control, and he is there. These first five verses may not look like very much, yet there is power in the preface. The book of Exodus, meaning the way out, records the experiences of the church of Israel as they were coming out of bondage on their way to a new land and a new home. Today, God is calling his children out. It is important to note that after 400 years, the church of Israel had become comfortable with their circumstances in Egypt. They had become satisfied slaves who had learned to accommodate themselves to an unwholesome situation. Yet, God had to call them out from where they were in order to guide them to the place he intended for them to be. God is always calling Israel out. Likewise, God is always calling the church out in order to bring the church back in. The writer uses these first five verses to remind the turn of Israel that whatever their experiences were, others had experienced the same thing before them. If God was calling Israel out of Egypt, it was because God had first called Israel out of Israel. By doing so, God not only intended to get Israel out of Egypt, he wanted to get Egypt out of Israel. 
God was calling these people out of Egypt not to experience something novel or uncommon, but something that somebody else had already gone through. Therefore, the writer names, right names those who have already been where they were going. It's refreshing to know that no matter what our circumstance, somebody has already been there and done that and got the t-shirt. Come on now. We're not the first ones to have had trials, tribulations, sicknesses, pandemics, or disasters. We're not the first ones to climb up the rough side of the mountain through hills and valleys. We are not the first ones to navigate through rough seas and high waters. We are not the first ones to make it through danger seen and unseen. We are not the first ones, and guess what? You ain't going to be the last. If somebody else has made it, you can make it too. Whatever it that is God is calling you to do that you have never done before, you can make it. Whatever burden you've been called to bear that you have never had to bear before, you can make it. We serve the same God of Israel. If Israel could make it, you and I could make it too. If Reuben could make it, I could make it. If Simeon could make it, I could make it. If Judah could make it, I can make it. If slaves could make it, we can make it too. If those who could not read or write can make it, we can make it too. Our foreparents had to learn from books with ripped out pages. If they could make it, guess what? We can make it too. Our ancestors got medicine from tree barks and never saw a doctor. We've got medicine from CVS and Walgreens and have doctors all over town. If they could make it, ah, we can make it too. The reason we can make it is found in verse 5. And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls. For Joseph was in Egypt already. Now, 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 let me, let me just put a pin right there. Let me park this car right here. We love to talk about the fact that the King James Version is a tough version to read. We don't understand what it's saying. We don't get it. It's hard. Them words up in there is tough. But let me ask you this question. If you have a good King James Version, which is like a study Bible, when you read those five verses and you get down to verse 5, it says that for Joseph was in Egypt already. Now, 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 now any good English scholar would know, and if, you are, uh, if you're in school and, and you remember your English class, it says you have to be very careful to look at the words and how it's been formed to make a sentence. And there are certain mnemonics that it uses to get your attention. Now, if you read in the King James Version, you will notice that there is a very special uh, mnemonics used to get your attention. What is that mnemonic? Can anyone tell me? It's italicized. Now, let me, let me just share a couple of things. This is something else I want to add to you when it comes to reading the King James. I am not saying you got to only read the King James. Don't get me wrong. I'm saying don't throw it too far away. 
Because in the King James, there are some nuances that gets you shouting. You remember the story of, of Abraham and Isaac when they were walking up the mountain? And Abraham and Isaac had a very interesting conversation. I wish some of our children would have it with us as we are coming to church. He knew we were going to worship. But his first question to his daddy was, Pops, I see the Bible. I see the offering. But I don't see the fire. So Abraham had to figure out what was he going to tell his son. And when you read it in the King James, it says that Abraham said what all of us like to say, God will provide himself. Come on now. Ain't that something that God will provide himself, which was a foretaste of what Jesus was going to do on Calvary. And you know what's interesting? The mountain that he went up on with Isaac was only three mountains away from Calvary. The King James brings that out. And here again in Exodus, here, here, Joseph was in Egypt already. Now, now, get this. We haven't read about the story of Moses yet. We haven't read about the ten plagues yet. We haven't read about Pharaoh saying, go, get out of here, yet. We haven't gotten to the Red Sea, <laughs> yet. We haven't seen the waters parted, yet. But the writer wanted us to get something before we even delved in. He says in verse 5, Joseph was in Egypt. I've got to shout right there. We've got to realize that God has already done what we are looking forward to. If you look over in Genesis 43, you will discover that the famine was sowing the land. To survive the famine, Jacob sent his sons to Egypt and with the exception of Benjamin to buy corns to avoid certain starvation. By reading the closing lines of Genesis through the preface of Exodus, we find that all the sons of Jacob had died. 350 years had passed. But when the writer looked back over Exodus of the turn of Israel, he concluded that when they reached Egypt, Joseph was in Egypt already. Likewise, likewise, whenever you are at a place where you cannot sufficiently meet your needs, whenever you are called upon to leave the known for the unknown, whenever God bids you to leave one place and go to another, whenever God disturbs you where you are and sends you off in search of where he wants you to be, you need to know before you get there, God has already provided for you. This God of Exodus provided for Israel before Israel even knew they had a need. Sometimes it is difficult to understand why God does what he does or how he does what he does. As God allowed it to happen to Joseph, God can allow your brothers to tear the clothes off your back, hate you, 
throw you in a pit, sell you into slavery. He may allow you to wind up in prison and suffer hunger, poverty, and pain in a foreign land. Through all of that, you may think God has let you down when in fact he has picked you up. Come on down. You may think God has disappointed you when in fact he has appointed you and made you prime minister of the people who intended to be your master and keep you enslaved. You think God has dissed you. Come on now. But in reality, he has honored you by putting you in charge of the food in a time of famine. God put Joseph in such a critical place in Egypt that when the sons of Jacob arrived there, God had provided for everything they would need already. Just as soon as Israel had decided to leave Israel, God had dispatched a resource Israel would need before Israel arrived. In the same way, God will provide for your needs before you know you have needs. Come on now. Theologically speaking, this is called the foreknowledge of God. Philosophically speaking, it is called a priori activity of God. Logically speaking, it is known as provincial causality. God causes things to be before things are known to have been caused. Come on now. God intervenes beforehand so that when you that so that what you need is already on hand. This is the prior action that occurs before prior action is needed. God always acts in the rim of the before, before the hills in order stood, before the earth received her frame, before the mountains were brought forth. Before there was a whence or a where, a when or a whither, before the mountain stars sang together or the sons of God shouted for joy. God acts before so that when we get where he intends us to be, the work is done already. Come on, musicians, as I run to my seat. The verse which suggests that Joseph was in Egypt already not only speaks to the fact that Joseph was already physically there, it also means that the things that Joseph and his brothers would need were already there. When God told Noah to build an ark, Noah couldn't see it. But the flood was there <laughs> already. When Moses stood on the banks of the Red Sea, the power to part the waters was in his hand already. When David stood before Goliath, he didn't need to go to the store because the slingshot and the stone he needed were in his pocket already. When the three Hebrew boys were thrown into the fiery furnace, they discovered that they were not there by themselves. A fourth person who looked like the son of God was there already. Come on now. When Elijah told the widow of Zarephath to open up her empty cupboard, the meal and the oil was there already. Come on. And just as God has already was already there in these circumstances, God is already working out in your circumstances. 
if you don't know how you got the job you have, it's because God made a way already. If the doctors don't know how you walked away, elder, from the hospital, it's because the chief physician was there already. If you thought you didn't have enough collateral to get a mortgage for the house you're living in right now, God had to open a door for you to get a loan already. When you look back at some of the problems you thought impossible to face, you will see that the reason you're smiling today is because God raised up some friends for you, gave you some allies, set somebody to stand by your side because he worked it out already. When you got up this morning in a global pandemic, and was wondering how you were going to stay healthy. God has already stated he has plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Make no mistake, the help you need got you there before you got there because God was there already. You are looking for the bottom to drop out. But God was there already. You were looking for all hell to break loose. But heaven broke loose instead. God was there already. You should have been dead right now. But God has been keeping you alive. He is right by your side already. You don't always get what you want when you want it. But when you've gone through something, God fixes it so that when you have learned your lessons in the school of hard knocks, when you have matured to the point that you can handle what you're asking for, by the time you get ready for God, God has been ready for you. In fact, in fact, he has already done what he said he would do. He made a way, didn't he? He's opened doors, didn't he? He has put bread on your table, hasn't he? Clothes on your back, shoes on your feet. He has sent friends to your aid. We walk by faith and not by sight because God has gone ahead of us and already done what we need him to do. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He anoints my head with oil. My cup running over. It's already done. I, when I need angels to watch over me and bear up me in their hands, it's already done. When I need a counselor, I already have one. When I need a friend, Jesus sticks closer than a brother. It's already done. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. It's already done. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's already done. The prayer of the faith shall save the sick. If in fact it's already done. If you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence your yonder place, and it shall be removed, and nothing shall be impossible for you. It's already done. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be like wool. 
What about my sins? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed him white as snow. It's already done. What about my sin? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Tabernacle of praise. In spite of what we are seeing, in spite of what we are hearing, God has already come by and he says to you today, it's already done. Let the church say amen. It's already done. I don't know. I almost feel like doing the holy dance. Hallelujah. We have come in here kind of tepid, but now you know that it's already done. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Woo! I thank you, Lord. You did something in this place today. Thank you for those who've been watching online. But Father, all this good news don't mean anything unless we claim it for ourselves. So with this revised style of appeal, nobody in this place has a key to heaven or a key to hell. So right now, Lord, we're talking to you. Today, 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 if you heard the voice of God saying to you, don't worry, I've already done it. Accept his hand of love in your life. Accept him today. All we need you to do is just raise your hand. God, you see the hands of those who are raised. They're accepting your call today. Some of us feel like, oh, we've got it. We've been in church so long. We know. We know the pitfalls. And then coronavirus comes. So, Father, I pray that we will be like a child. And with childlike faith, we are today renewing our connection to you. If that's you today, just raise your hand. Keep them raised. Keep them raised. Keep them raised. Don't put them down. Father, pour into these hands that are raised. Your staying power, your healing power, your protective power. And Father, we claim the promises of Exodus 1 and verse 5. Joseph was in Egypt already. But for us, it is Jesus was on Calvary already.
let's sing that again all across this congregation. Oh, even online, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. thank you. We claim today our love for you. We now put our lives in your hands and because you already done it, we claim the victory. Today, today, if you want to give your life in a tangible way to Jesus and go all the way in the baptism, in the watery grave, I invite you to let one of the elders know don't wait. Don't wait. Do it now. Do it now so you can have peace in the midst of the storm because you can claim that he's already done it. It's four o'clock. Amen. Some of you might want to just stay right there. Amen. Amen. We have uh, dinner's going to be served downstairs. Just go straight to your seats. Don't go up and wait in the line. Just go straight to your seats. You're going to be served. Amen. We want you all to stand right now. Just hold on to that spirit. Amen. Just hold on to it. When you listen to CNN, just know that it's already done. Amen. Let's stand as we're going to be dismissed. Father God, truly the Holy Spirit spoke today. You spoke to our troubled hearts, Lord. Lord, we're thankful that before we call, you have already answered. It's already done, Lord. We thank you for that precious promise. Now, Lord, we pray that you will bless the food. Pray that it will be nourishing to our bodies. We've already had the spiritual food. Now bless the physical food. Bless us until this end is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And when you go on by, uh, just thank the pastor. Don't shake his hand, but just thank him for that word as he stands in the back. Amen. <laughs>